97.1 FM, The Drive, presents the Behind the Song Podcast, taking you deeper into classic rock's most timeless tunes. Here's your host, Janda. In this episode of Behind the Song, we take a closer look at the lyrics of one of the greatest songs ever recorded, Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Written by one man, Freddie Mercury, and produced by Queen and Roy Thomas Baker, Bohemian Rhapsody is a song that took over three weeks, six studios, and over 180 overdubs to complete. They say that fortune favors the bold, and one might say that Freddie Mercury encapsulated boldness in all of his music, perhaps none more than in this song, his masterpiece. One of the most impressive things about the song is how accessible it is, while at the same time dealing with downright puzzling lyrics and being so complicated in its execution. It doesn't have a chorus, but instead is presented as a suite made up of different sections. There's an intro, followed by a ballad section and guitar solo, then a wild operatic section with some of the strangest lyrics in modern music, then a killer rock section, and another guitar solo, and finally, an outro, or coda. Clocking in at almost six minutes long, it ends with the soft sizzle of a tam-tam, which seems to put a period at the end after all the frenzy and bombast in the song. Now, before we get into the lyrics, let's peel the curtain back on Freddie Mercury's backstory, which gives us some clues as to what he was getting at in the song. Mercury was born in September of 1946 in Zanzibar, what is now Tanzania. Of Parsi descent, his birth name was Farouk Bulsara. In 1964, when he was in his late teens, he moved to Middlesex, England with his parents and sister to escape the Zanzibar Revolution, in which thousands of Indians and Arabs were killed. Farouk Bulsara's parents practiced Zoroastrianism, one of the world's oldest religions. It follows a single creator god with good battling to destroy evil. The basic purpose of life is to make the world more perfect by doing good. Righteous deeds are rewarded, and those who do evil have themselves to blame for their downfall. The basic maxim of Zoroastrianism is good thoughts... Good words, good deeds. Like many ancient religions, one of the things Zoroastrianism does not accept among practitioners is homosexuality. A talented and artistic child, Bulsara began taking piano lessons at around age seven, and later he learned to play guitar. After he and his family moved to England, he graduated from art school. He changed his name to Freddie Mercury in around 1971, after forming Queen with guitarist Brian May, drummer Roger Taylor, and bassist John Deacon. Some say that Mercury started writing Bohemian Rhapsody as early as 1968, while he was still in art school. He thought the intro and ballad sections had sort of an old western theme, so he often referred to it in the early days as the cowboy song. By the time Mercury had formed Queen and the band had brought on Roy Thomas Baker to produce the A Night at the Opera album, the song was complete in Mercury's mind. Baker later shared that Mercury played him the opening and ballad section on piano for the song and then exclaimed, and this is where the opera section comes in, which Baker at first thought was a joke. 
Mercury wasn't kidding, though, and Baker, Brian May, and the rest of Queen were ultimately convinced of the song's power and worthiness to record. Mercury directed the band throughout the recording, which began in August 1975. Since the most advanced technology available at the time was a 24-track analog tape recorder, Mercury, May, and Taylor recorded their vocals for up to 12 hours a day. The vocals were overdubbed onto the tape so many times that at certain points the tape was worn so thin it was practically transparent. You could see through it. Here's what it sounds like to overdub a vocal just a few times. First, here's one vocal. And now another. And another. And yet another. Now imagine doing that over 180 times in the studio which is what it took to create the operatic section in the song. Baker said that every time Freddie came up with another Galileo, he would add another piece of tape to the reel. You can still hear some instances of the worn tape when vocals were punched in on certain recordings of the song. All that work made for a really long tune, especially for 1975. Record executives wanted the band to trim it down from its 5 minutes 55 seconds. They said it would never be a hit at that length. Queen's manager, John Reed, who also managed Elton John, played it for Elton, who famously said, Are you mad? You'll never get that on the radio. And Bohemian Rhapsody likely would have not been a hit had it not been for UK DJ Kenny Everett, who devised a clever plan. He was told outright not to play the song by Capital Radio. So... He said he wouldn't, but he never agreed to not playing parts of the song, which he began doing. Part by part, he would play little excerpts and tease the listeners with the fact that he was told not to play the whole thing. This stroke of genius resulted in throngs of Queen fans demanding to hear it in its entirety and going to the record stores to buy it for themselves when it wasn't even released yet. At about the same time, the song began to get airplay by DJs on American radio. Roy Thomas Baker later said to Sound on Sound magazine that it was a strange situation where radio on both sides of the Atlantic were breaking a record that the record companies said would never get airplay. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. A little more background on where Freddie Mercury was at personally when he and the band recorded Bohemian Rhapsody. By the mid-70s, Mercury's relationship with his longtime live-in girlfriend, Mary Austin, was falling apart. He had begun having an affair with an American record executive who happened to be male, which effectively ended his romantic relationship with Austin. He and Austin remained close throughout the rest of his life, though. He became the godfather of her oldest son, and he left his London home to her in his will. So, given that she meant so much to him, 
It must have been very hard for him to reveal his sexuality to her back in the 70s, when homosexuality was only decriminalized in England just a few years earlier. But then again, those closest to Mercury always described him as a complex person. He was the ultimate showman, capable of bringing an arena full of fans to their feet at concert after concert, and capable of great hedonistic excess in his personal tastes and appetites. But he was also described as a shy man who collected rare stamps and Japanese art and who had a soft spot for his many pet cats. Now, given all of that, let's get into these lyrics. It gets interesting right from the jump. The intro goes like this. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. Open your eyes, look up to the skies and see. I'm just a poor boy. I need no sympathy because I'm easy come, easy go. Little high, little low. Any way the wind blows doesn't really matter to me. This sets the scene for the struggle to come in the song. What some have theorized is similar to the story of Faust, where a young man kills someone and then sells his soul to the devil. And there are comparisons to The Stranger by Albert Camus, which deals with a young man who kills, but can't say why he did it. At any rate, the singer here seems to take accountability for his own crime and accept his fate. The ballad section starts like this. Mama just killed a man. Put a gun against his head, pulled my trigger, now he's dead. Mama, life had just begun, but now I've gone and thrown it all away. Mama, didn't mean to make you cry. If I'm not back again this time tomorrow, carry on as if nothing really matters. This must be the part Mercury thought was sort of old western, in that it seems to be a letter from a man about to be executed for his crime. Is Mama a reference to his longtime girlfriend, Mary Austin, perhaps as a Mother Mary type of presence in his life, someone he would have held close and not have wanted to hurt or disappoint? Or was it a reference to his own mother, who, because of her religion, would likely have struggled with her son's choices at the time? When Mercury sings, Mama just killed a man, is he talking about killing off his old closeted self? And in telling the Mama figure here to carry on, is he cautioning her against trying to stop that which can't be stopped, in the song and in his own life? The next verse continues in the vein of a man writing his last words before the gallows fall. Too late. My time has come. Send shivers down my spine, bodies aching all the time. Goodbye, everybody. I've got to go. Gotta leave you all behind and face the truth. Mama, any way the wind blows, I don't want to die. I sometimes wish I'd never been born at all. And now, the operatic section. It goes like this. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, will you do the fandango? Thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening. Me, Galileo, Figaro, Magnifico. I'm just a poor boy. Nobody loves me. He's just a poor boy from a poor family. Spare him his life from this monstrosity. Easy come, easy go, will you let me go? Bismillah, no, we will not let you go. Mamma mia, let me go. Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me. Okay, let's break this down from the top. 
We assume here that the gallows have fallen and the singer is now dead. He's now in the afterlife. I see a little silhouette of a man could possibly be Mercury seeing the ghost of his old self. Scaramouche is a dramatic, boastful, cowardly clown and could be representative of how Mercury saw himself at times. The Fandango is a Spanish couple's dance, which means big fuss. So when he sings Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the Fandango, followed by thunder and lightning, he could be referring to being frightened at seeing what is now a cast of characters in battle for his soul. Calling on Galileo while in fear could be a reference to or just a little gift to Brian May. May has a lifelong interest in science and later earned a Ph.D. in astrophysics. Galileo was, of course, an astronomer and physicist, some say the father of physics. Figaro is a character in the Italian opera The Barber of Seville. He helps his employer, a count, win the girl he fell in love with at first sight by devising a way for them to meet. He is a good liar and says in the opera, I must force myself to laugh at everything lest I be obliged to weep. This too could be a reference to Mercury's dual nature. And Bismillah is referred to in the Quran. It means in the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful. It is then therefore God, or Bismillah, who will not let him go. Including this reference to God not letting him go possibly speaks to Mercury's spiritual Zoroastrian upbringing and his struggle with his sexuality. In the next line, Beelzebub has a devil put aside for him. So all of these light and dark characters are in a battle over the singer's soul, but what will be his liberation? The next part of the song is the climax. It's the head-banging rock part of the song, and it could be where the singer finds the courage to stand up to everything that is challenging him so far. Mercury sings, So you think you can stone me and spit in my eye? So you think you can love me and leave me to die? Oh, baby, can't do this to me, baby. Just gotta get out. Just gotta get right out of here. Then the guitar solo brings on the outro or coda of the song. The aftermath of the singer's struggle. Mercury sings, Nothing really matters. Anyone can see. Nothing really matters. Nothing really matters to me. Any way the wind blows. The tam-tam is the lone instrument played to great effect at the end of the song. It leaves you with the feeling of having been fully spent after such a feverish romp through these dramatic lines, and it serves as a kind of bow at the end of the performance. It's so queen. The song reached number nine on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in 1975 and enjoyed a resurgence and a climb to number two on the charts in 1992 after Mike Myers insisted that it be the song that Wayne and Garth lip-synced to in the famous car scene in the movie Wayne's World. In 2004, Bohemian Rhapsody was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. And speaking of Mike Myers... He plays the record executive who complains about the song being too long in the film Bohemian Rhapsody. So, is the song a rock opera? Is it prog rock? Is it just plain rock? Is it a pop drama? Was Freddie Mercury singing about his own inner battle with his sexuality, or did he just set out to write a bunch of stuff about nonsense that rhymed in a really grand, over-the-top way? Is it his take on The Stranger by Camus, or of the story of Faust, 
He never said what the song was about. And the rest of the band have never much talked about the true meaning of the song out of respect for him. Mercury said that he wanted people to listen to it, think about it, and then make up their own minds as to what it says to them, which is the way any truly great artist treats their work. Pablo Picasso once said, It isn't up to the painter to define the symbols on the canvas, that it was up to each individual interpreter to divine that for themselves. A few years ago, my entire family had Christmas at one of my sister's houses. Multiple generations were there celebrating, from prim little aunts in their 60s to small cousins who were just starting grade school. Somebody put this song on, and every single person in the house found their way to the living room to belt out every word, or at least every word they knew. It was the best Christmas I have ever had. And that's the true power in Bohemian Rhapsody. It speaks to everyone in an undeniable way. You hear it once, you know it forever, and you turn the volume up every single time. The more people in the room, or the car, the better. Thank you, Freddie Mercury. I'm Janda, and this has been Behind the Song. Special thanks to Christian Lane for sound design and engineering. Check back for more episodes on songs by artists like the Rolling Stones, Fleetwood Mac, Tom Petty, and more classic rock and roll.